The Gospel of Mark, starting in chapter 14. So the chief priests and scribes wanted to uh, kill, arrest Jesus, but they didn't want to do it during the festival because the festival of unleavened bread was coming up, which means Passover was only a couple days away. And he was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, he being Jesus. And then the woman came and poured the pure nard over him. And some of them were indignant because this is worth over 300 denarii. And they said, why are you doing this? This could have been given to the poor. And Jesus scolded them and said, let her alone. Why do you bother her? She's done a good deed for me. For you've always, you will always have the poor with you. Whenever you wish, you can do good to them. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, that this woman has done, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. So the Lord arranged and this woman did it, whether whether she kind of understood that she should. I mean, she was obviously doing something quite audacious. And so we don't know exactly what brought her to do this, whether it was somehow the Lord speaking to her or she just... She just worshipped him so much she wanted to take what she had that was valuable and bathe him in it. And and so she did it. And the Lord used it to prepare him to give him something wonderful and luxurious before all the suffering he was about to do. And according to Mark, this is exactly when Judas decided to go off and betray him. And uh, they promised him money and so they began seeking a way to do it. So Mark's account is interesting because it kind of gives the impression that they were, what it says is, on the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb was being sacrificed, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? So most people believe that on, it's the very end of the day of Passover that the lambs are sacrificed, which would be the time when Jesus was uh, put on the cross and would be the time of the um, traditional Seder meal. And and so therefore, his Seder meal, Passover meal with the disciples was was the evening before, which is the same day, but but um, the you know because of the biblical day starting at night and going into the daytime, it would have been earlier. Um, I don't know. Mark throws a little doubt into that, but anyways, this is what they do. He sends him into the city. He says there will be a man there carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him wherever he enters. Say to the owner of the house. The teacher says, where is my guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he himself will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. Prepare for us there. So the father had shown Jesus exactly what he needed to tell his disciples to do. And and they went and did it. And then as they're all sitting down eating at the table, uh, the the last supper, Jesus says, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The one who is eating with me. And they began grieve. They became grieved, and they said, "What? Surely not I! Surely not I!" And he says, "It is one of the twelve, one who dips with me in the bowl. For the Son of Man is to go, just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed! It would have been good for that man if he had not been born." So, any the, the, there's um, you know people of the world like to come up with all kinds of theories about Jesus, and one of them that Jesus and Judas were in cahoots. Jesus is quite clear about what happened to Judas here. And then they share the Last Supper. And he takes some bread. He says, take it. This is my body. 
and then he gives them a cup and as they pour it they all give thanks they all drink from it he said this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many truly i say to you i will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when i drink it new in the kingdom of god so he's showing them this is the end but he's showing he what he's going to do is prepare the kingdom so that when he comes back from the dead and he does have food and drink with them that he has entered the kingdom and so they're singing a hymn, they go out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus says, You will all fall away, because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter's still feeling a little full of himself. He still doesn't understand that he must submit his life totally to the Messiah. That if he wants to teach, he must be submitted, and not presume that he knows better in certain ways. This is often the the way of man, the way of the carnal flesh, that, oh, well, he, he's generally ahead of me, but in this particular thing, I know better. Well, what happens in that case is, in that particular area of life, you are not able to grow because you're not willing to see. You don't have eyes to see in that area. You presume too much, and that's what Peter was doing here. Peter says, you're going to deny me. Uh, before a rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. Peter immediately de- denies it and said, Even if I have to die with you, I will de- not deny you. Then he goes to Gethsemane. He says to his disciples, Sit here until I've prayed. And he took with him Peter, James, and John and began to be very distressed. So he takes them a little further on. He says, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And then he went a little beyond them and fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. He, you just see an intimate moment here with God. He says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but you will. So he's totally submitting everything in his life. Whereas Abraham was willing to execute his son, um, and as is God with Jesus, Jesus willingly, and and there's much reason to believe Isaac was actually quite old, around 30, same with Jesus. And uh, so in that way, willingly allowing his father to execute him when his father was old and could have been overpowered. Jesus, here in the same way, not wanting to do it, but fully willing to lay his life down. He comes back, finds the sleeping. He says to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So he's saying, Peter, I know that your spirit is willing to be a part of the things of me, but your flesh is against you. Fight against your flesh. Grab hold of the spirit life and live according to that way, not the way of your flesh that's fighting against you. He came back a third time again, found them sleeping. He says, are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. So he has understanding. Judas is coming with the the palace guard, or the temple guard, sorry. So Judas comes up with the guards, and he kisses Jesus to betray him with a kiss. That's a signal to the guards. And, and Peter goes to chop off the ear of one of them. And Jesus says, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me? As you would against a robber, every day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures. 
He says, you are doing in secret what you could have done in the light, but you are not of the light. So you're skulking and doing these things in dark. In 51, this is describing John. A young man was following him, wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body, and they seized him. But he pulled free of the linen sheet and escaped naked. It's odd, but I guess because they were tired, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane, he went ahead and stripped naked to take a nap. Uh, seems odd to me, but different culture, different times. <laughs> so apparently he was surprised when the guards came and still naked, and he just put a sheet around himself. Now they led Jesus to the high priest and the chief priests, elders and scribes, and Peter followed at a distance and then started warming himself at the fire. And the whole council is trying to get testimony against Jesus so they can put him to death. So people start giving false testimony, uh, inconsistent testimony, and they get fed up and they finally ask Jesus, what, what's going on? What are they testifying against you? And Jesus is just quiet. He refuses to even talk, which again is... A scripture, I think a psalm, maybe Isaiah, I forget, but that's a fulfilling scripture as well. They finally ask him, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus says, I am, and you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And so they tear their clothes. They say, what further need do we have of witness? This is blasphemy. He deserves death. They start spitting on him, blindfolding him, beating him. And they say to him, prophecy, they're basically mocking him. And they... The officers received him with slaps in the face. And Peter's out in the courtyard and he starts getting questions saying, You are with Jesus the Nazarene. He says, I neither know or understand what you're talking about. And others are saying, Yes, this is one of them. And he again is denying it. Surely you're one of them, Galilean. He begins to curse and, and swear. And he says, I do not know this man you're talking about. Immediately a rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had made the remark to him. Before a rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he began to weep. Just can you imagine the, the weight of, of that? That you had been so bold in your flesh, but when it came down to it, you were not enough. And fully realizing that your Lord and Savior, who is now in the thick of all this, fully understood all of this. And he didn't stand with him. But Peter will... Be raised up and he will end up going to the own thing to his own version of this exact same thing once he has raised up by the holy spirit and then we're on to 15. and again i'm going much more quickly through these stories than i did with matthew because i already did it with matthew so i'm i, I am sort of giving the highlights of what happened and then hopefully we'll refrain from repeating what i've already said in matthew so they take him to Pontius Pilate. He asks if he's the king of the Jews. He said, it is as you say. And then the chief priests are accusing him. And, and Pilate says, do you not answer? See how many charges they bring against you? And Jesus made no answer. And Pilate was amazed. Because again, that's not how a normal person responds to their judge and potential executioner. And since the tradition of releasing a prisoner is up, he looks for this opportunity to release Jesus because he doesn't want to kill him. And Bar Barabbas is there, and the people cheer for Barabbas. And Pilate cannot understand. You don't want me to release the king of the Jews? Just a few days ago, you people were worshiping him and welcoming him into the city as your Messiah. Now you want him dead? He cannot understand this. But, the, you know, Jesus understood the hearts of men are fickle. And they turn with the, the slightest change of the wind of the spirit and the 
the spirit of darkness had roused up against him and and that's what was going on Pilate didn't understand all this but but he didn't understand it so i, I don't understand why you'd want this guy dead he hasn't done anything and they're just shouting out crucify him crucify him and so Pilate, in Mark's version, the way this goes is Pilate has him scourged, scourged, and then crucified. And then the soldiers who are in charge of this mock him, and they, uh, you know, they dress him in purple. They give him a crown of thorns, so they're dressing him like a king, sort of. And they say, "Hail, King of the Jews!" And they keep beating him with a reed, and spitting on him, uh, kneeling and bowing to him, just continuing to mock him. They press into service uh, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear the, the cross for them. And then they bring him to Golgotha, which is the place of the, of the skull. And they tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, which I think would dull the pain a little bit, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. They divided up his garments among themselves, like Isaiah 53 talks about casting lots for them. Um, so all, again, we talked about this in Matthew, but all these little details were prophesied long before Jesus lived. They crucified two robbers, one on his right, one on his left. And so the scripture was fulfilled and he was numbered with transgressors. So that's the scripture and, uh, and he fulfilled it. I guess that verse was added later. Those passing by who were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, Ha, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Well, of course he did. It just hasn't been three days yet. In the same way, chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. But they didn't really want to see and believe. So when Jesus did come back from the dead, he showed himself to 500 people, but not these people who didn't really want to believe. They wanted to live for their own religion, for their own power, for their own life, their own flesh. From noon to three, darkness fell over the land. And then Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So he's completely the... Spirit of the Lord left him for the first time, and for the first time he cries out because he's truly alone. And then the people cry out, Behold, he's calling for Elijah. So someone ran, grabbed a sponge and sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink. And they're saying, Let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and died. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion who was standing right in front of him, saw the way he breathed his last. He said, truly, this man was the son of God. So of all the people seeing, so it's interesting, Jesus came and he gave his life to the Jews, right? When the Gentiles would speak to him, he said, no, I came to for the Jews. And he did, you know, the couple people said, you know, the woman said, oh, even the dogs get scraps. And so the, there were some, the Samaritans, there were, there were some non-Jews that, that Jesus did bless. But for the most part, he was giving his t attention while he was alive to the Jews. Well, here you have, right at his death, the first man that acknowledges this really was the Son of God, was a Gentile. And of course, there the word would spread far beyond the Jews to all the world. And it lists some of the women that were there, because most of the men were not there. Only John and a bunch of the women were actually there during his last. And then they bury him. Now, this was on the day of Passover, which was 
a preparation day for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread is uh, a Sabbath, a high holy day. And so the Passover day was a preparation day for that. And so they, um, we, we can figure out that this was a Wednesday. And so Joseph of Arimathea came. He's a prominent member of the council. He was waiting for the kingdom of God. He gathered up courage, went before Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate wondered, wanted to make sure he was dead, summoned the centurion, questioned him. He said, yeah, he's already dead. And so he said, okay, Joseph, you can have the body. Joseph bought a linen cloth, took him down, wrapped him in the linen cloth, and laid him in a tomb, which had been hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, were looking to see where he was laid. So they knew where he was. And then we're on to chapter 16. Now the Sabbath was over. This was a different Sabbath. This wasn't the Sabbath that was the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This was the Sabbath that was the normal weekly Sabbath, which is Saturday. So the Sabbath was over, so now it's Sunday. So they come to the tomb, and they were going to anoint him with spices. Very, And this was early on the first day of the week. They came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us to entrance? But looking up, they saw the stone was already rolled away although it was extremely large, so this was not an easy thing to do. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go, tell disciples and Peter, He is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. They went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And that is how Mark ended his gospel. The early versions of this book that we have, um, that's where it ends. Later, they added more because they Mark specifically left it as a cliffhanger to make the listener wonder, well, what happened? What's going on? How could he? Where did he go? And so, therefore, it could be used as a teaching tool to say, "Now he is in you." <laughs> but later, people were unsatisfied with that, and they wanted it to to end more like the others' gospels. And so, they added an ending. And they tell us, "Well, he he appeared to Mary, and so she went, and this is Mary Magdalene. She went, and she, uh, you know, explained to them that the disciples were were still mourning and weeping." And, she explained it to them. And when they heard he was alive and he had been seen by her, they refused to believe it. They, they said, you're crazy. There's no way that happened. Even though he had told them many times that this is exactly what would happen, they couldn't comprehend it. So they didn't have ears to hear when he was speaking to them. After that, he appeared to two of them while they were walking along on their way to the country. They went away and reported it to the others. And so I think that's reported in Luke, I believe, um, the road to Emmaus. And so we'll get when we get to Luke, we'll talk about that. And afterwards, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus had spoken to them. He was received up into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere. 
while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the signs that followed. And they promptly reported all these instructions to Peter and his companions. And after that, Jesus himself sent out through them from east to west the sacred and imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation. This very last part, apparently, the, the, the early versions that do have it put that verse in different places. So this one, my, my Bible puts it there at the end. Um, and so this is basically the Gospel of Peter, as told by Mark. And um, I hope you enjoyed it. I, I came for, to a new appreciation going through this. I, I really began to admire how he organized the, the different stories in order to have themes that, to teach lessons. And so hopefully uh, we all picked up something through that. And then we'll move from here to Ezekiel. God bless you.